0: The cabin was messy and weird today. Yesterday Drendy put on his big coat and rode his bike to my house. It was last night around 1020 that he called to say that he was craving a hot fudge Tuesday. There's this place downtown in my little mountain town. Cold Mike's Sweet Square and Rabbit Foot Shop. He started out just selling rabbit feet. I think it's a good luck thing. Then one day he was eating an ice cream sundae he'd fashioned for himself. More or less, someone walked in and said, I'll also have an ice cream sundae, please cold mike replied something like oh no this is my rabbit foot shop how about i set you up with a dead animal part the guy's face crinkled no dead rabbit feet sales hadn't been stellar as of late which is strange you think that any shop that sold good luck charms would do great. In fact, the more you sold, the less good luck energy you'd have floating around the place. You'd practically be struggling to keep enough stock to go around. Cold Mike went into his kitchen and made the guy a dish of ice cream. Just because he seemed... Disturbed over the whole animal foot thing. The guy finally uncrinkled his face as he enjoyed the ice cream. That's right. The guy just kept his face crinkled the entire weight. That's no way to live. Maybe he has a condition. But Cold Mike didn't like Sunday. The day of the week. The name Sunday always made him feel a little sad. He figured that he was starting on a happiness deficit by just thinking the name of the ice cream dish. So he renamed it an Ice Cream Tuesday. This was inspired by a bumper sticker that said Tuesday, semicolon. At least it's not Monday. It made him chuckle inside. Deep inside. I'm talking about his core. It made the guy convulse. Then he went back to normal and said to himself, I'm still gonna sell dead rabbit feet as well, because I really believe in those furry little good luck corpse parts. Me and Drendy were riding the iced road. We were headed to the ice cream shop. It was downtown. Drendy pointed at the river. I said, What? He pointed again and said, Nothing, just the river is cool. I said, I agreed. We rode on. Then Drendy pointed again. Disposable cameras, he yelled. He turned off the street and squealed his brakes onto the cracked driveway of an abandoned house. Drendy's eyes were right. A large, clear, plastic bag of disposable cameras. The sack of cams, if you like saying stuff cool was crammed underneath a wildly overgrown hedge. Drandy sorted through the bag and concluded they were used. I suggested we bring them for development at Blakeman's Picture Supply. Ted Blankman is this nice guy with a weird business sense. The front of the store is your regular nice film drop-off and photography supply shop. In the back, he has a portrait studio. Nice enough, yeah. But Blakely, I just started calling him that right now, only shoots with people who will accept, as the backdrop, his crappy, water-damaged yellow wall with a single red sports car poster tacked on it. It's probably a Chevy or something. Something 12-year-old Ted considered rad and fast. It's all discolored and curled from years of dreadful northeastern summer humidity. But he's cheap. There's dozens of walls covered in portraits of that poster folding on itself, As the child in front has grown a year larger, there's probably something poetic about that. Maybe. We dropped the bag off and went to spoon stuff in our faces and wonder about what was to come of the cameras. Ted did ask us to come see the poster. We said maybe, but later... He was sad, but not that sad. I think whenever someone refuses to ogle at his shitty poster, he reminds himself, but I can still look. That's why he smiles when we say no. The developed photos came back this morning. Drendy and I brewed a pot of the cheapest coffee we could find. For our look through. We like to drink really cheap coffee. It makes us feel grizzled and wise. And we find the labeling on the fat metal can fascinating. A crappy little barn, just a solid mass of finger paint primary red, and a pathetic little cow made of black and white blobs. The whole thing is generic, so generic and uninspired that it wrapped back around and became a work of otherworldly brilliance, kind of. We sipped our bad coffee for a few minutes, Drendy brought out the first photo sleeve. His eyes floated towards the window, he rummaged through a dozen or so paper sleeves like a farmer counting their eggs. The question was not what, it was how many. "'What are you seeing?' I asked. "'This is... this isn't even weird. I think I'm going insane. Or maybe you're insane, for some reason,' Trendy said as he downed his mug of coffee. He handed me a photo. It was the two of us polishing the red car from Ted Blankman's photo dungeon. He held up another. This one, a candid of me and Drendy cruising in the red car. We're on some kind of coastal highway. We're smiling. I began to dig through the photos he'd piled on the coffee table. Each photo is of the two of us, always engaged in some activity involving that car. Then Drendy pulled out a sleeve from the very bottom of the bag. The other envelopes were yellow with the little blue stripes. This one was stark white and contained a single photo. It was Drendy and he was bending down to inspect the bag of cameras. Drandy pulled the picture to his eyes. I'm looking at the camera and I'm winking, he said. I don't think I've ever winked in my life. That wasn't even close to being the weirdest part, I told him. We vowed to figure this mysterious kind of thing out, and we will, and we're gonna start immediately after we watch some more TV and eat some more chips. Speaking of watching stuff, let's get back to observing the mental activity inspired by the story I've been telling you. That was clunky, but guess what? Not everything can be perfect. Chapter 7 Sleep Pilot. He would watch Toast's chest, as he put it, fill into the moonlight. Toast had a deviated septum that he said rumbled like a sip of whiskey sloshed around a mouth full of dollar store menthol lozenges. I'm probably in the minority here, but that sounds sort of bad. I like things that taste good. Pizza, a piece of gum, those horns full of cream, also I like calzones. Toast would wake up and, and this is a quote, play out-of-tune piano on his eyes. Years later, I learned about an old upright piano. In the hallway right next to the bedroom door, open the door, you'd hit it. He told us I watched the sleeping sleep. He'd turn his cigarette between his lips while he talked. They knew I watched, he said. They slept, knowing me. Over and over, we met. He told me he'd never turn the key in the door before 9 p.m. Waiting was a fresh pot of coffee, and a biscuit butter and honey the first snore he said i'd take my lonely steps up the stairs lonely steps he said that's how they felt they're quiet and real slow like you're trying to be a ghost you don't want anyone to hear no one is going to come out and ask where you're going they don't know you're moving you want to keep being alone he said the sleeper woke up four maybe five times a night these are the times they met no talking nothing but a look but they weren't looks of acknowledgement they were instructed to look through each other Soft eyes. It was supposed to be like two points of the universe working together to negate itself. They were preparing for a next step. Toast was part of a project. See, this physicist took up painting. That's never good. He wanted to paint people as they dreamed. He didn't want any shitty paintings of people just sleeping. That would be a real snore, if you want. Whatever. So the subjects had to be trained. They had to wake up between dreams. But if the sleepy person went and started a conversation like, Hey, how's it going? I just dreamed I showed up late to marry a giant basketball wife it would throw the painter off he'd be trying to paint a sleeping dreaming person and suddenly he'd catch himself starting to paint a big sexy basketball that's no good for anyone i don't even like pretending about sexy basketballs the only basketball related thoughts i want to have are slam dunks they're really cool. It wasn't clear what this physicist was trying to accomplish, but it wasn't something good. You want to know why I knew that? A number of these paintings hung on the wall of a certain Dr. Keith Kreble, the certain idiot who, at this point, wanted me to be dead. He was a big fan of the paintings. Oh, and the paintings were bad. The guy didn't practice much in the way of theory when it came to art. I also don't think he practiced in the way of uh, practice either. They were mushy, angry-looking, and primarily in shades of brown, Sometimes he'd miss a spot and leave a little speckle of radioactive pond scum green. Nova and Drendy were in the yard for the duration of this conversation, but I was secretly recording everything. Although I did ask this guy, his name was Nold, short for Nolder, and not Arnold, if it was alright. The secret part was just exactly how I was recording because I laid on the table a little tape recorder, little tapes, a bigger tape recorder, bigger tapes, and also pointed a camcorder at him. In fact, I was using all three, but he didn't know that, and it probably kept him honest for some reason all the chess books at neil frost's house by the ocean had me all strategic i guess nold was a sleep pilot he'd been recruited by old pizza boss sucked into what was essentially what nova called a dream cult she didn't have all the answers either though She was brought into the project because of her very specific technical expertise. They'd have her build these little machines without much explanation. At first, they seemed disparate, like these little, elaborate, gadgety toys. About a year in, she started making connections between the assignments. She became sure that they were all parts of a single machine. By the end of year two, she was sure it was an instrument related to experimental physics. Year three, this year, last month actually, upon completion of a design called the Fancy Pelican Effectuator, she knew it was a machine meant to manipulate time. I'll explain that, but later. Nova can't explain how the dream work relates to the time manipulation device. Keith Krabble assigned her a sleep pilot last March. She always sleeps with the window cracked open. The early spring night chill was too much for the pilot. He'd close it. Nova would lay unable to sleep. You can wear one of my sweatshirts if you want, she said. He said okay and picked the only pink sweater in her dresser. It belonged to her dearest friend, who was also her deadest friend. Nova was alarmed but excited when she woke up to find the hyper-colored pullover filled with flesh and animated once again but her eyes adjusted to the early morning light, and her face dropped. It was just Nold perched on his pilot's stool, lighting another hand-rolled cigarette. Nold got weird on the whole project and eventually stopped huffing the paint. Huffing the paint was a requirement. His mind became clear one night When he was watching Nova, he made his exit. He left a note on Nova's bedside table. He wrote in a kind of secret code that he only understood as he scribbled it. Maybe there's something to that, he wonders. He knows he at least said goodbye, and he knows that he told her she was probably not safe. She decoded... Part of that note, the street address of Nold's childhood home. Then she wrote him. He rode eastward on his little Honda motorcycle. He wore leather driving gloves to keep his fingers from icing up. Drendy commented on them and told Nold about how he considered a driving glove collection in younger years. Those are some gloves you're wearing, he said. Then they talked about how, quote, the open road calls to them. I know people think stuff like that sounds normal. It's like this harmless way of mythologizing life so you don't start looking forward to death. But if the road starts calling out my name, then you better tie me to something First it's the road calling for me, then I'm conversing with the furnace. Next thing I know, my revolver is asking to whisper something in my ear. I'd rather not go out like that. I want to die in a totally new way. Maybe a real wizard shows himself and he picks me as the first person he magical kills. He points his staff at me and says, By the fires of Mount Logramp or whatever, I will now swap you places with your weight in coal from within the deepest, loneliest cave. Then I start to yell like a coward as my skin flashes the most brilliant, blinding hues of blue and pink. But... In an instant, the colors fade as a big pile of dirty coal plunks on the ground. But people would be skeptical. Suddenly believing in magic would be too much mental work. The newspaper headlines wouldn't be, Man turns into pile of coal. No, it'd say, Man turns out to be pile of coal. And people would believe it, too they'd start living through the corner of their eyes, wondering, which of our friends seems a little Coley? The whole thing had me thinking about my own dreams. Back then, I hardly had more than some fuzzy pictures bouncing around my head, and these faded to just about nothing by the time I was really up and doing stuff. You know, waving a spoon around in a cup and all that morning stuff. But that morning was different. I was feeling like a kid again in that way, in a dream way. I poured a glass of water for myself the night before. I think it was the last thing I really did before I slept. I think I rolled over a few times. But it's hard to count rolling over in bed as something I actually did. Rolling over is really only a big deal if a dead person is doing it. It's usually because the living world betrays their hopes and dreams. It's like, oh, the government passed a bill to make slavery legal again. But now it's not all racial, it's just now. Rich people can own the poor people outright. Then someone would say, I bet some guy who was really good and nice, but also really famous for saying speeches about not liking slavery is rolling over in their grave. But what about all the regular people who are also against slavery maybe their corpses are too busy working ghost jobs to roll over i got no time to roll over they'll say i'm just barely paying off my spooky mortgage so i can keep haunting this house but i had a really good dream and i remembered it well it was a terrible dream but I really remembered the thing. One of those dreams that made you think, yeah, I really did some dreaming last night. See, in the dream, I watched a friend use a knife on his parents. I won't go into detail, but he was really stabbing and slicing with that thing. He even did this fancy move where he spun it on his palm before going in for another stab. He was putting on quite a show. And while Dream Me didn't exactly love that it had happened, I also didn't go running to the cops. As dreams tend to do after the murder, it all turned into pretty standard Dream Fair. But all this regular stuff is happening, and Dream Me is recalling the murder. I'm trying to process it, but it's a dream, so the whole event doesn't seem so straightforward. The dream went on and on. First, I was at a nice little cafe. My dead dad was our server. He sat down for a drink of coffee. His boss smiled. We thought he'd get mad, but he sat down too. Then he disappeared. Then my dad was gone, too. After that, robots shot radioactive lightning at each other in a cityscape. Everything was blocky and flat. Low-resolution textures for grass. The mountains looked like necrotic graham crackers. Like a video game for the Tony Enjoyment 2000 console. 32 bits of Tony Enjoyment in your home. Goodbye, mall arcade. Hello, my shitty couch. The robot fight was intense, but anticlimactic. I felt bored. My eyes drew away and got trapped in the swirling edges of the angular fog surrounding the city. A big bomb dropped from the clouds. I only saw it from the corner of my eye. This made it especially terrifying. Maybe this was the bomb. The big bomb that we're always talking about. I didn't even get a good look. I was lost in the fog like a real idiot. I tried to close my eyes, to protect myself from the explosion. My eyelids wouldn't listen, or maybe they just disappeared. I didn't feel so bad about the destruction of the city. It was so blocky and shitty looking after all. It didn't feel like a place anyone would live, though I could imagine blocky, shitty looking people living there. Driving their blocky, shitty cars to their blocky, shitty jobs. And playing fetch with their blocky, shitty dogs. When I thought about it, it almost made me want to cry a blocky, shitty tear. Then I had a false awakening. It wasn't that interesting. I just dreamed about taking a sip from my water glass. But the water tasted like distilled water. That was a real trip. Trippier than coffee with my dead dad, or the apocalyptical robots, or hanging out with a friend slash murderer. By the end of the dream, right before I'm awake, it hits. Oh, I'm an accessory to murdering this guy's parents. I could be in real trouble. I didn't talk to the police. And I even think I hung out with my murder friend in the dream. We were on his sofa cracking explode now diet sodas. We were laughing. So we also cracked some jokes, I guess. But all the while, Dream Me is wondering, why did he do that? I'm replaying the murder again and again. I kept trying to grasp the stabbing and the slicing and the neat knife spinning trick. What did it mean? Why did I care? Nothing stuck except the act of trying to make something stick. The moments leading to waking up. I'm frantic, trying to come up with something good for the police. There is nothing good to say. As I wake up, I'm finally struck with the true weight of what's happened. But it was a good dream in some ways like a giant steak dinner that makes you puke it was dark and exciting and makes you think yeah, my subconscious is doing something weird like it's supposed to it's the kind of dream you only get to read about in old psychology books it wasn't just some meandering brain glitch it had a point a real point I don't know what it was, but that's besides the point. I had a real dream. Drendi and Nova were waiting for me to come out for breakfast. I stood next to the bed trying to squeeze the dream residue out of my nervous system. It was like an ancient juice had clogged me up. I felt I needed to find a practitioner of some ancient massage. To stimulate the system of esoteric bio-spiritual stems running through my body. It's probably bullshit. I'm bullshit. I did my best fast walk into the living room. So my eggs wouldn't get cold. That's all for this week. Boy, oh boy. I don't know why I'm saying that. But until next time, I've been local.